Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is Ryan Pelton, your prolific writer podcast host, and welcome to episode number 24. And today we have a great guest, Brian Meeks, and Brian Meeks hails from a small undisclosed Iowa town. Actually, he'd probably tell you where he lives, but he does come from a small Iowa town. And today, Brian Meeks and I talk about Amazon ads. And it's a very cool interview, not just because it's about Amazon ads, which many people are interested in and how to get their books out there, get the word out there. And Amazon ads are becoming very popular. Um, but Brian actually is in the process of writing a book on the subject. And he did something interesting where he polled a bunch of people and wanted to get their feedback of what they wanted to learn about, um, what are the, the questions they have about Amazon ads and, and even just marketing in general. And so he polled a bunch of people and, and worked through the questions and questions he had. And he wrote this book. And, and I, I really believe this book is going to be really helpful really eye-opening and also kind of take some of the mythology out of Amazon ads because it can be a little bit overwhelming. And, and what I love about also is this, this interview is not because of the Amazon ads. He has a great story, a great writing journey that you're going to hear about. Uh, but also the, the idea of asking other people for feedback. And I think that's a really important part of writing is, is to say, Hey, what are the questions that you have? Uh, especially if you're writing nonfiction, what are the burning questions? What are the, the troubles that you have? And, and what are some solutions that you're looking for and going out and actually asking real humans and real people? 
I think it's a really smart thing, and, and Brian's a really smart guy. And so we had a great conversation and really enjoyed talking to Brian Meeks. And so you're going to love this interview. You're going to gain a lot. And also consider how to market your books. And maybe Amazon Ads is a way to do it, and maybe there's other ways too. Um, but, but I think after this interview, you're going to consider uh, maybe considering Amazon uh, as one of your marketing platforms. And I know as artists, I know that can be difficult because we're artists and we don't want to think about business and, and think about promotion. Um, but if you have a story to share and a, a book to share, an idea to share, I think promotion shouldn't be a scary thing, but just something that you're excited about to say, how do I, how do I get this message out to the world? So with no further ado, here is Brian Meeks. Welcome, everybody, to the Prolific Writer Podcast. Uh, I am privileged today to have Brian Meeks on the line. And uh, Brian jumped in last minute. We had a cancellation. Uh, we had someone sick, and so he was willing to come in last minute. And so um, I say that as a caveat because I usually try to do some research and not sound like a total goof on the show. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to do my best because I didn't get a chance to really dig into Brian's background, but he's going to enlighten us and help us um, – understand more of who he is and we're gonna have a great show we're actually gonna talk uh, about a little bit about amazon uh, ads and uh, kind of the phenomenon that is and so he's going to be our expert today so welcome to the prolific writer podcast brian Ryan, I really appreciate being here. I'm glad you reached out to me. This will be fun. Yeah, it'll be great. And uh, Brian and I um, happen to be in the same writing group and um, I threw out the idea of getting some more people on the show and he was willing to come on and you brought out the idea of doing something about Amazon ads. And uh, I know for those of us that do some writing, those of us in the indie space um, and, and those of us kind of paying attention to marketing, what's going on in the world uh, is Amazon ads are becoming popular and uh, they are, uh, are very uh, effective for a lot of people. And, um, and so Brian, I believe you're working on a book um, specifically on the subject. I am. I'm getting pretty close to finishing it. It's it will well. The, the title is Mastering Amazon Ads: An Author's Guide. I have the cover art done. I've got a group on Facebook of beta readers, and it should be noted. Back in February, when I started the group, I was under the mistaken impression that the book was finished. I had written kind of everything that I felt was important, and skipped all the things that I assumed everybody knew. And then I started this beta group and got a bunch of people fairly quickly. And the questions they were asking were things that I hadn't considered covering. And a lot of these questions made for really good chapters. So the book has evolved since February 24th and is vastly better. And so it's interesting. I've always thought of beta readers as there to – check the work of my editor, see those last minute mistakes or what have you, and give you a little bit of feedback. But this group, as it has turned out, has actually been an integral part of the writing of the book. And in fact, the chapter I worked on last night, I quoted, I think, five or six people in the group from comments they had left about a 
chapter I had posted. And so I believe it's becoming a much better book because of the feedback. Yeah, I find that um, very interesting. Uh, I, I've been following a little bit of your your journey on our on our Facebook reading group and the way you've been soliciting uh, feedback and questions. I think that's a really smart way of kind of thinking about, especially a, a nonfiction kind of how to practical kind of book. Is you know what are what are the questions that people have? Where, where are they exactly. where are they struggling? Where are you know? Because I think sometimes we just launch out, write a book. We're not really <laughs> answering any questions that people are asking and it kind of falls flat, but you've kind of taken a different approach. Well, I, I think had I not started the group, I would have had a, a fair book that covered what I thought was important for Amazon ads. But a lot of readers would have felt like there were chapters missing because it wasn't addressing their needs. And so hopefully now it's quite a bit better and there will be fewer people that have questions that aren't addressed in the book. Well, great. Yeah, we look look forward to reading that and hearing more about it. Um, before we get into the Amazon ads specifically, um, we are you know the Prolific Writer podcast, and so we yep. bring on writers of all shapes and sizes and wanted to kind of throw it in reverse a little bit and talk a little bit about your, your story. Uh, kind of where are you from? Where How did you get here? How did the whole writing thing start? And um, yeah, why don't we start start there? Okay, well, let's start with my shape and size. I'm <laughs> five foot six. I could probably drop uh, 30 pounds or so. And I live in a small Midwestern city, which I will disclose. It's Martell, Iowa, a tiny little town of 252 people. It's actually where my father grew up. And I had lived out in the D.C. area where I was a, a data analyst for about seven and a half years. And I wanted to move back to Iowa and Dad said, well, Grandpa's house in town has been empty for a few years. If you want to live in a town of 252 people, you're, you're welcome to keep an eye on the house. And so that's where I live, it, which is great as far as small town Iowa, small town Midwest is fantastic. Compared to Washington, D.C., which has museums and the president and all of these things, in small town Iowa – if you go outside on a warm spring or summer day and you see the neighbors next door sitting in plastic lawn chairs, you can go over and hang out with them, tell stories, have a generally good time. And usually at about the 45-minute mark, somebody brings you pie. And that is a great thing. You never get pie in Washington, D.C. There are no random acts of pie. It is beautiful. So I absolutely love it here. But – in moving back, I had for a number of years been making my living building spaces in the virtual world of Second Life. And I was there back when it was early on and there was this huge gold, huge gold rush of people building out these sims for corporate clients. And I get out, got in on that, made a ton of money, and then it dried up. And so I got poor. And when I kind of ran out of money, that's when I moved back into Grandpa's house came back to Iowa, which again, I love, but I didn't have any money. And on January 2nd, 2010, I was bored. I, the football game I wouldn't wanted to watch didn't kick off for a while. So I went to the World Wide web. I started surfing around and I found a site called blogger. Now at this juncture in my life, I hate writing. I hate writing with white hot passion. It was something I had to do in my job as an analyst. I hated that part. 
I had an eighth grade English teacher who beat any fun of writing out of me. It was just something that in my mind, you only wrote when you were being punished. Somebody was making you write a report because you angered them. So I found blogger and though I'm not predisposed to writing, I did have a funny story on that day because on January 2nd, the day before, I had been measuring legs for a, a workbench. I was an, a, a new woodworker. I was teaching myself woodworking, something I'd want to do my whole life, but I'd never had a house where I could have a little workshop. And all woodworkers do the same thing. We all start with our workbench. That's our first project. It's very easy, four legs. You put a vise on it. And I had plans out of a magazine. I knew the dimensions. I bought four by fours. There's an old adage, and you don't need to be a woodworker to know it. I'm guessing most of your listeners will have heard of measure twice, cut once. Absolutely true. But what I learned on January 1st was that if you measure twice while simultaneously watching college football, (laughs) it may not be quite as effective as you had hoped. And I, in fact, on January 2nd, shortly before getting online, realized that I had four legs of three different sizes and only one of them was correct. So so I had to throw three of them out. And well, one of them I could cut down to be correct. And then the other two were just too short. So I had to go buy another four by four. And I thought that was funny. So I wrote a blog post on Blogger about my foibles in measuring twice and cutting once. And I hit post. Well, that being done, I moved on and I was just literally Googling and looking for interesting things. And I found a site called Lumberjocks. Lumberjocks is a woodworking forum. And the people that hang out on Lumberjocks are really good work woodworkers. They make the amazing like, tiny boxes. Some do replicas of like Queen Anne furniture. I mean, just brilliant, brilliant woodworkers. And so I spent about an hour just amazed I decided, well, I didn't want to lose this site because this would be a great place for me to hang out and learn. So I joined. And after I got the email and confirmed that I was who I said I was, a button popped up and it said blog. Well, I had already blogged and it was about woodworking. So I, so I, sorry about that. I copy and pasted the post on Blogger into Lumberjocks and it was time for the football game. So I left and I went back the next day because I, I just wanted to read more things about woodworking. And 300 people had read my post. 25 people had left comments. This is the funniest thing I've ever read here. I love it. You have to write more. And that was when my, my blogging began. I started blogging every day. I, in fact, blogged every day. I didn't miss a day from January 2nd, that first post, through March 26th, the day I left for the Smart Armors Summit last year in 2016. So a long streak of daily blogging. Wow. In, in that blogging, on the 30th of January, I hadn't done any woodworking. All I had done was buy a router. And so to write the blog post, all I had to say was, oh, I bought a router. Well, I decided to do something sort of creative. I wrote the first chapter of a noir mystery – where the detective's name is Henry Wood, because it was a woodworking blog, took place in 1955, and he had this secret closet where somebody from the future was sending him presents, and in the closet there was 
this router, this one and a quarter horsepower router. Well, the people that have been reading the blog got the joke because I've been talking about this router for three weeks. Like, I, should I buy it? You know, because I was poor. I didn't have any money. And, and that was it. I wrote one chapter. And I thought that was the end of it. And sure enough, they wanted the next chapter. I ended up writing the first four books in the Henry Woods series all as blog posts. And that got me into writing. And now this is what I do for a living. And so that was a very long story. And I'm sorry about that. But oh, it's great. That's, that's what happened. And so I went from hating writing to this is what I do full time. Well, yeah, I, I find it interesting. I'm, I'm hearing more and more people that, you know, when they talk about I didn't like writing and then I loved writing, um, you know, whether they wrote, like you said, with your job and maybe it was because of the nature of the writing, you know, it's technical or it's boring or whatever, exactly. or it just feels like more work, <laughs> you know, when, yes. you get, when you get home. Uh, you know, that's not everyone's story. Not, not everyone's story is, well, I was, you know, third grade and I just started and I loved it and I haven't stopped since. But, but for a lot of people, I'm, I'm hearing that more and more that it's, it's kind of when you unlock that certain kind of writing that you go, Oh, I like this. This is, this is different. Like this isn't school. This isn't work. <laughs> this is, you know, joy. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's also totally different when, you know, people you don't know tell you they love something you do. It, it I mean, it's external validation is a powerful thing. And there, there was a lot of you know dopamine hits from these 25 people that said they loved my post and that it was hilarious. And they, they wrote at length about how much they liked it. And I, I just was feeling all warm and fuzzy and I liked that feeling. And so I kept doing it. And I still love that feeling. Sure. Sure. So, so let's talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, you, you, you begin this blog, you're watching a football game, you know, you become fam- yep. famous overnight, you know, people are <laughs> banging down your door. Um, and, so you're writing these kind of the, the mystery stories. Now, now yep. talk, talk to me a little about what's your influence on that? Is, is mystery kind of the, the genre you enjoy reading? Is it why, why did that kind of story? What, where did that come from? Well, the again, it was just me trying to think of a way to, in a thousand words, say I bought the Bausch router. So I, I really was figuring out a creative way to turn three words into a thousand word blog post. And wrote the chapter, but I, I do like mysteries. I, I, I've always loved mysteries. I I read a, across a lot of different genres. I, I love Richard Kipling. Uh, I read a lot of dead authors. I like science fiction. I like mysteries. The, the whole depth and breadth of mysteries, cozy mysteries, thrillers, uh, the books you know about lawyers. You know, just. I enjoy reading a lot. And so the the mystery thing just kind of happened. And the reason that they were my first four books is because that's what my readers wanted. And I kind of in the back of my mind thought, okay, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to publish these sometime because I was living well below the poverty line. And I thought, boy, you know, if I could make an extra 100 bucks a month, that's that's a lot of food for as poor as I was. And so I just kept doing it. Well, then after the the fourth Henry Wood book, I got an idea for a thriller, A Touch to Die For, which I had never done that much. I mean, it's paid for itself. But that one, after I finished it, and again, I'm, I'm writing these and just posting them unedited, just you know, up on the blog post. I write it. I post it. And the readers know, and they're leaving comments. And after I got done with that one, one of my readers who – was a loyal follower 
asked me on Twitter, he goes, because I, I didn't post just chapters. It was whenever I needed a blog post and I didn't have something about woodworking, I wrote a chapter. And so the non chapter, the non story blog posts were usually kind of funny and I would do guest blog posting and I was always writing stuff trying to elicit chortles. And he asked me, why haven't you ever written a satire? And I said, I don't know why I haven't written a satire. I just guess I haven't gotten to it. And so at that moment, I started Underwood Scotch and Rye, which is my bestseller. Um, well, I say it, it, it has sold the best of all of them. I, I wouldn't call myself a bestselling author, but um, Underwood Scotch and Rye, historically, um, it's sold – well, 8,244 copies has had 2.8 million page reads. It's maybe about $40,000. So it, it's done pretty well. And I, I just got this idea for this satire about this curmudgeonly professor and went with it. And so I, I guess I just started genre hopping and I've written the, the four in the mystery series, the one thriller. I've got a young adult that is sort of, Harry Potter-esque, only it does have two giant guinea pigs in it, which makes it awesome. And then I've got another young adult killing Hemingway and a science fiction series. It's not the best strategy to genre hop. I don't necessarily think I would be doing – I think I would be doing better if I had just written like 12 Henry Wood books. But I've had way more fun. And so Sometimes you just need to do different things. And like now with the Amazon ads book, that's a different thing and it keeps me fresh. And I, I don't, I don't know that I could just write one thing. Yeah. I think we, you know, live in a time where it's, you know, there's, I guess there's differing viewpoints on that, you know, stay in one genre versus not, but I think in the indie world, it's a lot easier, you know, I've been, oh, absolutely. I've been watching, you know, Stephen King a little bit, you know, his Richard Bachman stuff and, you know, talking, I love the Bachman books. Right, the story about the the kid with the the padlock and uh, taking the room hostage. I think he was nineteen when right. he wrote that, a freshman. Right, and you know, and but you know, if if he would have you know did that probably in the last five years, it probably he probably just wrote it under his name and you know been, yeah, been done I'm with sure. it. But it's you know pressure from publishers, and he was writing books too fast, and you know couldn't <laughs> he, they didn't want to. I mean, he tells it this way. He says they they didn't want to oversaturate his other titles. And, sure. And so, you know, it was almost like because they're so slow at getting books out, he couldn't use his own name. Um, but I think, you know, when people find you and they like you and they like your voice, you know, so yeah, if they like the mysteries, they'll read the mysteries. If they don't, they don't. I mean, if they like the sci-fi, if they like the fantasy, I mean, I, I think it's, I get, yeah, I get good crossover. I, I really do. I have That's people good. that will write me that say, I'm mostly a mystery reader. I've never read science fiction, but I read your, your science fiction trilogy just because – I like your writing. And I even have one nonfiction about the 86-87 Iowa Hawkeyes men's basketball team uh-huh. that I do nothing with. Uh-huh. I wrote it because the all-time leading scorer and I worked together, and I thought it would be a great chance to sell a bunch of books. It's, it's, a, it's a fair book at best. But I had a guy who read it just because he had read everything else of mine, and he said, I hate basketball, but I wanted to read it too, and I really enjoyed the book. And so – you're right. If you have a voice that people like, you can try different things, and not all of them will like it, but some of them will. Sure. And then you'll find people that don't want to read your mysteries, but like your satire or what have you. And so, 
uh, I don't think people should be afraid to try something new. It right. kind of makes this more fun. And you said something important too about what you really are passionate about or what you really enjoy or, you know, there's something about you have to sit at the, at the table or wherever you write and at the computer and, and really say, I, I enjoy writing this. If you hate sci-fi and yet you're going to write a sci-fi or you hate mysteries and you're trying to write these things, exactly, you're going to go crazy. And, you know, I, I find as I get older too, that I really just go with what I'm excited about and what idea really sparks my imagination rather than trying to say, well, I better write this because this sells better or I better write this because this is, you know, whatever. 100% whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've got to pay the bills and you got to do what you got to do. But um, but I think in the end, you'll be more happier. Um, well, Brian, you have a just a fascinating story. I, I love the way you, you've kind of you know, found this kind of gift and ability and the love of writing and, and just said, you know, I'm just going to go for it and see where it goes, you know, starting with the blog and, you know, writing mysteries and now fantasy and some nonfiction things. Yeah. And, um, I, I wanted to kind of shift gears, uh, to kind of present day. We, we opened our time talking about a little bit about Amazon ads and yes. kind of your research on that. And one of the things I've noticed just doing some, you know, very brief research is that you're obviously a data guy and, uh, you have, I, I like data. I <laughs> yeah, do. And you, you enjoy it and you, you're unashamedly a data guy. And now th- j- just, just to be clear so that no one out there thinks that I'm Hugh Howie's data guy. I am not Hugh Howie's data. Okay. guy. Right. I have a huge man crush on Hugh Howie's data guy, but his level of ninja skills are beyond mine. I'm pretty good. But he's the man. Okay. So just so we're clear, I'm not the data guy. Okay. I'm a data guy. <laughs> and, we're, and we're pretty sure the data guy does live in some kind of undisclosed Midwestern bunker <laughs> exactly. somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> and someone feeds him under the door. I don't know. But um, but so you, you've obviously taken that into some of your nonfiction stuff. Um, you, you've talked about yes. you know writing books 15 minutes a day. You've done some making money on books but now you're kind of using some of your data and feedback from different writing communities and beta readers to kind of talk about amazon ads and um and so let's first just start with your own um experience with with ads have you been using them i'm assuming you do and kind of what has been your um what has been the fruit of that how effective have they been for you um what are you learning from that why don't you just start there very good well i have over the last two years it's a little over two years now because I started in early 2015, and I began simply by running product display interest ads on my Thriller, which I've said I don't do anything with it. I kind of use it as my control group because I never run BookBub ads for it or anything. It's just – and it has this cover that I actually think is kind of horrible, but every single time I mention to – you know, on, on one of my Facebook author pages or whatever that I'm thinking of redoing the cover and I'd like suggestions. The people that have read the book love the cover. And so I stick with this cover that I think is suboptimal. But because of that, because the cover isn't great, in my opinion, it's a, it's a really good book to use for testing things. And so that's what I did with Amazon ads. And I started out and I was just, you know what, I'm going to bid three cents. They suggest 29 to 35 cents. But this book, at the time, I think was only priced two ninety nine. It's four ninety nine now. But I could do the math. At thirty five cents, I'm not going to sell one in six clicks. The, the the cover's not that good. 
doesn't have a ton of ratings. There's just no way I can convert well enough to profit at what Amazon was suggesting I bid. So I just bid three cents. You know what? Maybe I get some impressions. Maybe I don't. There's no downside to trying. And I had, I mean, I maybe sold $20 worth of books on three or $4 worth of spend in the first month. So it wasn't groundbreaking, but it was interesting enough. And I was wide at the time that I started pulling books off of being wide because two years ago, you it was required that you be exclusive to Amazon to use their ads. And it it started to improve. Well, being a data guy, I set up an Excel spreadsheet and I started asking questions, which to anyone listening that is afraid of math or analysis and just doesn't want to do it, it's less about being really good at math than it is about asking the right questions. If you get in a habit of saying, what if, and that's what I did. I said, what if I bid three cents? What's the upside? Well, maybe some people will click. Maybe some people will buy the book. It doesn't matter what my conversion is. I've got $2 to play with, and at three cents a click, it'll be in the black. And so I did it. And then I thought, well, what if I bid four cents and then five cents? And for about a year, I didn't bid over five cents because nobody was doing Amazon ads, and there was no competition. I, I, I could bid five cents and get as many, well, not as many clicks as I want, but I was getting plenty. And in a very short time after I started my previous best month, and it was a month that I had a book bub such that it was like right at the beginning of a month. And I think I had $2,300 in revenue that month because the post book bump 30 days or what have you was really good. And I'd run some other promotions, but it was my best month. And that had been about a year before. Well, in the second or third month of doing Amazon ads where I really – I had most of my books now in and I was running ads across uh, my entire line. I hadn't written the science fiction at that point, but I had a $3,000 month and that was all selling books at full price, which is amazing when you're used to driving most of your traffic through 99-cent specials. The joy at selling things and at that time – a lot of my books were $2.99 and $3.99. They're almost all $4.99 and $5.99 now. But it, it was, you know, this there's something here. I, I got to keep doing this. And so it went from three to 7000 And I think then uh, like 90, it was like $9,993 just missed five figures. And that was the month I put in my notice at, my day job and sure enough the next month then I made five figures and I don't make five figures every month but some months are 12,000 some the summer months are harder partly because I goof around and and I don't focus on the ads as much but it, it changed my life and I got to a point where I could generate a lot of revenue lifetime I've spent 40 well now close to $42,000 on Amazon ads clicks I looked up the other day, I've had over 92 million impressions, over 600,000 clicks, and my return on investment on that 42,000 is uh, right around 300%. So I've spent an enormous amount of time on it, and it's changed my life. Hmm. Well, that's amazing. So so I hear you saying things have changed, obviously, in the last – so you said you started about two years ago. 
yes. with three cent, you know, five cent ads, just kind of real yep. experimental one book. Um, and then kind of when, when was like the transition from, you know, I heard you say you were wide, but then you went, you know, exclusive KDP. Um, yep. when did you say, okay, I'm going to start trying this on all the books or some books or, or how did you, I mean, obviously you had to spend a lot of money. So how did you kind of figure all that out? Well, that was, uh, like I say, I don't remember the exact month. Maybe it was, I could go back and look, but maybe it was February or March of 2015 is when I did the first test. And then within maybe eight weeks or so, I pulled the trigger on going exclusive. And I mean, the, the, data, the data was clear fairly quickly. And when I had then that $3,000 month, I don't remember if it was the second or the third month. It was probably probably the third month. It It, it was... It was so eye-opening to be able to make $3,000 in a month where I didn't have a BookBub ad. And I've had 12 BookBub ads. I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of them, and they've really helped me get a lot of reviews. And you know that social proof is important. But the Amazon ads, you know, getting getting full price for your book, it's a totally different. It's a different game. It's a game changer, and that that's one thing that a lot of people have troubles with. When they start into Amazon ads, if they're coming from a world where most of their sales they've driven through 99-cent specials or maybe they had their book on Permafree, I've done that with the first Henry Wood, that marketing is targeting a specific pool of readers. And this is a concept I hope people take away from this podcast. There are different types of readers. The readers who are on Amazon – or are reading their Kindle Unlimited, their, their their Kindles, and subscribe to Kindle Unlimited. Those are different pools. The Kindle Unlimited is a different pool from the people shopping on Amazon and seeing your ads and clicking on it. Are different from the people that get most of their books through BookBub and these other platforms, Robin Reads, uh, the Fussy Librarian, and things like that. And so when you understand that. If all of your readers are coming from these venues that do these newsletter blasts, then you're getting people that they want 99 cent and free books. When you shift over and most of your sales or I guess your your clicks come from people that really don't care that much about whether it's 2.99 or 5.99, you can you can raise your prices with with, with you know less fear. And you, you, you do really well as far as revenue. So there's different pools. And the same thing with people. You hear people talk about box sets and that they they don't like box sets because they're giving away, say, three books that are priced at four ninety nine. That would be, you know, fifteen or four fourteen ninety seven worth of sales, and they don't like the idea that they're giving it away at eight ninety nine. But again, when you think in terms of pools of people. There are readers out there that consume so many books per week that they only buy box sets. So they're not really ever going to buy the first book in your series, then buy the second, and then buy the third. They're out looking for box sets. It's a different pool. And so don't let this fear of loss at getting books one, two, and three sold individually stop you from doing a box set. And tapping into that pool of readers. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're you're kind of tapping into the you know what they call whale readers or people that just consume exactly. <laughs> mass amounts of books constantly. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. And that, that's what you get with Amazon ads. You're getting the mm-hmm. consumer that is is shopping for books, and they're, they're not clicking through a BookBub ad where they're only looking for 99-cent books or free books. Mm-hmm. So so I liked your idea of kind of the experimentation. So starting, you yes. know, taking a book, maybe it's not your bestseller, just throwing, you know, three cents at it, not a whole lot, and then kind of building from there. Um, exactly. You know, when when did you kind of decide, you know, hey, I need to put a little bit more money or try more in the, in the sense of, you know, were you making money already to put back into your marketing or were you just kind of taking a flyer and saying, okay, I might lose some on this, but just to see where it goes? Kind of talk to us about that. Well, the, in the, the two years prior to doing Amazon ads, my total revenue in 13 was 5000 and in 14 it was 10000 and in both those years, I put all of that money back into cover art and editing for other books I, I had written. And then by the time 2015 rolled around, you know, I had the, the, the money I'd made, I, I was caught up on releasing the books I had written. So I didn't have, I was getting revenue that I didn't have to spend getting these books edited because for the first couple of years, I was writing them more quickly than I could afford to get them edited and to buy the cover art. So the books were piling up. At the time that I discovered Amazon ads, I had kind of published everything I had written and of course was writing more, but it freed up that money for doing the advertising and having having lived below the poverty line for like six years at that point, I didn't mind, you know, eating a lot of ramen noodles and eggs. It, it wasn't unpleasant. I'm a generally happy person. And so it wasn't really a sacrifice. I don't have children that I'm feeding, you know, anything like that. And so the Amazon ads money, as soon as I made it, I was trying to figure out how to spend more money. And that's anybody that's done Amazon ads for even the shortest period of time will realize the hardest challenge is scaling. I have been at this for over two years. My goal has been I would like to spend $1,000 in a day. I have not reached that goal. I've had one week where seven days in a row I managed $300 to $350 a day and spend. And I, it was an amazing week. I absolutely crushed it. But the nature of ads, and this is uh, something that most people don't understand, they have a limited shelf life. You see this all the time on various forums or Facebook groups where people are talking about, I don't know why my ad died. Well, another takeaway I'd like your your listeners to get from this is the expectation. When you start an ad, for me, I mostly run product display interest ads. I know everybody listening only does keyword ads, but I've spent $42,000. I've spent $105 of that $42,000 on keyword ads. So that's not my main focus. Regardless, though, whichever way you're doing it, the ads, as a rule, will die. I have an expectation that a product display interest ad will take me – I'll write it, it'll get approved, and it will take two to six weeks before I get substantial clicks. And I will get substantial clicks for four to maybe 14 days. Sometimes there's ads that will run for four or five weeks, but they're rare. And because I'm constantly – looking to get the optimal bid to improve my ROI, I'm running ads where I'm really underbidding and sometimes they take off. Sometimes the ads will be 
th- th- they won't ever do anything, and that's and that's part of the deal. And so that expectation that most new people to Amazon ads have is once their ad begins getting a lot of clicks, like say 100 clicks a day, they think that's going to go on forever. It might go on for four days. It might go on for seven days. But knowing that it's going to drop off and that the only way to keep generating the sales is to write more ads, once you understand that, it eliminates a lot of the stress and confusion. And so, I don't even know what the question was anymore. I got off on that that whole expectation thing. Yeah, no, no. I kind of lost my way. No, Sorry you, about you're that. right on track. I mean, I, I had asked just what, you know, when did you start putting in more money and when, you know, when did you oh, re- yes. realize, you know, is there, a, you know, return <laughs> nothing, on the investment? Nothing to do with expectations. Right. I, I went off on a tangent. No, no, that's perfect. Sometimes I'll do that. <laughs> no, because I want, I want people to know, like, with ads and marketing, like, it's not a magic pill. You got to think long term. Sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. And, and don't just give up. Cause I, I see that too in Facebook groups and stuff. It's like, well, I, I put in $2 and you know, next week it didn't do anything and I'm out. Um, right. So right, wait, yeah. I, I want to pause on that point. Too. Yeah, go ahead. The, within this group and writing this book and I, I've not shared the whole book. I probably haven't even shared half the book with the group. I have been intentionally putting the chapters up because I I don't I, I want people to like when I, I talk about something, whether it's expectations or whatever, I really want them to digest that and have a grasp before they move on. If anybody in your audience chooses to one day buy Mastering Amazon ads, I would really like them to read it over twenty days and not in one setting because the problem it's a double edged sword with this book. I have gone to great lengths to try to simplify the steps that one takes to get through this, but it's an incredibly complex thing to get to the point where you're making a living by driving sales on Amazon ads. And so by making it simple, this is how you start. You do ABC and then you do this and then you optimize your description. It seems very simple and it gives the impression that Amazon ads are easy, but they're not easy. I spend hours and hours every day analyzing my data. I've been at it for two years And I come from a background where it was my job to be a data analyst. I'm, I I know Excel inside and out. And so there's these skill sets that I brought to the table that most of the authors don't have. And so they'll need to learn those. When you're going into this, Amazon ads can absolutely change your life, but it won't change it this month. You probably won't even get up to speed in two or three months like I did because, again, I came into it understanding how to analyze data. And if you have the right expectations and realize that this is a long game, the people that are listening to podcasts about being an author, they're in it for the long haul. They're going to be writing books next year or the year after, and they'll probably be doing it whether they're selling them or not because very few people get into this just purely to make money most of us really have a love for telling stories. If you understand that taking the time to learn the Amazon ads and if you have fear of math to learn a few of the basics like return on investment and these things, that skill set will carry forward and impact your success for you know, 20, 30, 40, 150 years. I mean, 
our life expectancy is growing, uh, according to Stephen Kotler in his book, uh, Stealing Fire by five hours a day. I think, I think that's the right book that I'm quoting, but regardless, it's a very long journey and anybody that decides to do the Amazon ads can expect it will take a while, but boy, once you crack it, it's life changing. Well, I'm really appreciative of you taking the time to to write the book because I think you're going to take some of the mystery, some of the difficulties, you know, from uh, maybe someone who's not a data, you know, marketing business person. Sure, most um, people aren't. Yeah, and and give them because I think that's the the whole creative, you know, writer. It's like, well, I'm an artist, you know, I'm I'm a purist. I don't I don't do business. I don't do marketing. But we realize as as indies, especially those that are indies listening. You know, we need that help. We need to figure some of that stuff out. Um, well, l- let me ask you this. And, and uh, you know, one of the things we can't do, obviously, over audio is, you know, oh. get, get into the, you know, Amazon. Oh, e- you're, you're, yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry. You... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, over audio, we can't get into, you know, opening up the ecosystem of Amazon and getting in there. But um, sure. What, sure. What would you suggest just your own, just kind of from your own experience and, Okay. To our listeners is, let's say I'm a I'm a I'm an author. I have maybe a couple books out, maybe I have a a short series out, or maybe a long series, and I've never done any marketing, but I want to do Amazon because Brian Meek says if I don't, I'm stupid, and um, <laughs> I want to jump in, but you know I don't want to obviously break the bank. You know what what would you say? What would be kind of your your, you know Amazon 101 basics boot camp. Let's let's jump in and, and do some some marketing with Amazon. What, where where should they start? I mean, do they start with book one of a series, the last book of the series, a novella? You know, uh, what 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 would the, what would you suggest knowing what you know now? Well, here's the interesting thing, because like you said, people have different situations. If a person has a series and say it has three or four books in it. The first thing I would do if you're running ads is I would sit down and do a little bit of math and figure out what's my read through. And that's I mean, that's simply a case of if you're if your series has been out long enough, you should be able to look at your lifetime sales, book one to book two, book three, and book four. And the math is pretty simple. You just divide book two by book one and you get a percentage. And then you divide book three by book one and you get a percentage. Book four, by book one, you get a percentage. Put all those down in three different cells, or four, I guess, the first one being 1.0 because 100% of the people that buy book one bought book one. And then say it's 50%, 40%, 30%. If you imagine writing those down on a piece of paper or putting them into four cells in a column in Excel, then to the right of that, in the next column or on the piece of paper, Write down the price of the book, or actually, it would probably be easier to write down your revenue from the book. So, if, as an example, the first book is ninety-nine cents, you would put 0.35 next to it. If the next book is two ninety-nine, you put, uh, say, two point oh five, because that's about the revenue we get less the delivery cost. And then, say, the next one's three ninety-nine, you might put two seventy-five, and say the last one's two seventy-five. Also, I don't know how many books I did there. Uh, one, two, I think I did five. But so you've got 35, 205, 275, and 275, say, is the revenue you get. Now, simply take the first row, 
one times 0.35 is 0.35. Say 0.5 times 2.05, and to the right of that, that would equal uh, 1.25, $1.2.5. Uh, and so you just do the math for each of those, and what you end up getting is a you get a, a value of your series. And so the example that I gave, just doing the, the math in my head, uh, um, oh, let me see. Well, I'm, I'm not going to do the math in my head. But the point is you get 4 or $5 for your, uh, your series. And, well, it wouldn't be that. It would, yeah, it would probably be around $4. So instead of thinking in terms of, I'm going to run this ad on a book that has 35 cents revenue. You look at the fact that some of the people are going to read all the way through the series. Some are going to read just the next book or what have you. But by doing that read-through calculation, you have a dollar amount that represents the value of your series. Once you know that number, then that can inform your decision about how much you're bidding. Because I, I there's one woman in the group, and I, I won't give her name, but just – amazing books she she has this massive series it's like 10 books long and her read through is crazy like 92 percent i mean it just everybody reads through her through her books it's incredible so she can bid anything for book one it doesn't matter what she bids her roi is going to be off the charts that's not the same for everyone and so before you've even run the ads, you kind of have to understand what is going to be the value, the potential return from this investment. And then you have another component. Some portion of your readers will be exclusive to Kendall Unlimited. Kendall Unlimited, and this is not me getting into the argument of wide or exclusive because I have been wide twice. I've been exclusive uh, three times, I guess. And uh, – Although originally I was just exclusive because I hadn't gone wide yet and it was before the age of Kendall Limited and all of that. But the point is, if you're thinking about Amazon ads as a major portion of your marketing strategy, which as you get good at it, it likely will be, then that sort of changes the equation on Kendall Unlimited because – there's a lot of revenue there. And when you're running product display interest ads, if you're in exclusive and your books are in Kindle Unlimited, then the person that is seeing the ad, and it's a you know full screen on their Kindle, so you get 100% of the real estate when your ad comes up, which is a great thing. Those people aren't deciding whether they're going to spend $4.99 or not on your book because they're in Kindle Unlimited. They're trying to decide, is this where I'm going to invest my time. So they don't have to spend any money. So you, in a sense, get to have a book priced. My books at the beginning of my series are $4.99. They're priced at $4.99. They're also perma-free for millions of people. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. So if you're wide and you're making money, I have a friend who makes way more than I do, and he makes more on Apple iTunes than he does on Amazon. And he does pretty well on Amazon, but he crushes it on iTunes. It would be insane. There, there's no way that he could do Amazon ads and have a greater return from the KU portion to offset the massive amount of money he makes 
from Apple iTunes. So that would be a wrong decision. But if somebody is wide and they're currently making you know, 90% of their money on Amazon anyway, then giving up that 10% from the other venues to add in the Kindle Unlimited page reads and to give them more margin and more opportunity for their ads to succeed, that's a no-brainer as well. So there's, you know, you ask for a one-on-one and it's, it's a fairly complex situation because there's all these different variables you have to factor in and your listeners are going to have different answers to these questions. But once they've gone through that, then the easiest ad to start with is product display interest. And I know everybody out there says do keyword ads, but my group of keywords that I use for my keyword ads took me 13 hours to build. A product display interest ad takes three minutes to run. And it will take two to six weeks before it will do anything. So the keyword ad, if you want to spend you know, a day putting together 800 or 1,000 keywords, you can use that list over and over and over. And so it's a one-time sunk cost. But you have your keyword. And then the impressions will likely start in a day or two. So it's, it's hard to give a 101. But I would start with figuring out what your margin is. Start out bidding low so you don't get crushed and then just ease your way into it. And when you're doing that, watch your data. Keep track of your daily impressions and spend on these ads. And that's the best way to get into it and just understand it's going to take a fair amount of time. So when you run an ad, you were saying, you know, if you have a series, four, five, six books, maybe three books, whatever, um, do you, you run ads on all those books at the same time? Is that correct? Most of the time, I run ads on the first book, okay. but there are times because I'm a data guy. I want to, I want to see how the other books will do. And what I find is often, if I'm running books or running other books in this series, that I can run them profitably. But my gut tells me that some of those ads are driving sales to the first book because a person maybe is seeing the ad for book two or three and it looks good. But then they see the also bots and they choose to go book one instead because I will see the the return on the book one stuff jump beyond what my expectation would be for just the book one ads, if that makes sense. So you can absolutely run ads on any of the book in your series and that's a great way to scale because more ads – leads to more spend. So that, that was a great question. And I do that, though the majority of my money or the majority of my focus as far as ad time is on the first books in series and box sets. Box sets are fantastic. If you haven't set up a box set, you have you know, three books that you could bundle together. That gives you a lot of margin. And so going back to your 101 question, if a person had a box set, I would start doing ads with it because you have a greater chance of success. Yeah, that was you were saying that those are kind of the the hungry readers, the ferocious exactly. readers. They don't want to mess around with just one; they want the whole series. Exactly. Uh, right. The rabid eaters of books. The rabid eaters of books. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey Brian. So um, th- this has been really, really enlightening, and I think you know the takeaway, as I hear you say it, is. You know, experiment, you know, yes. uh, keep track of your data. Um, yes. You know, don't just throw money at the 
at the wall or at the wind. Um, and yeah, see, see what, what's working, what's not be patient. Uh, that's another one is, you know, it could take a few weeks before you see any kind of results and it's not going to be go forever. And so you have to kind of readjust and tweak and, um, you know, have a, have a, I guess, good mindset and perspective on what you can expect and not just think it's, you know, just winning the lottery. Um, <laughs> exactly. Can, can, can I, can I throw in one, one more thing there where, yep. where you mentioned, uh, tweaking this, this is another area where somebody that's new to ads, I would strongly suggest never editing an ad. There are people out there that are constantly messing with their bids by editing them, which you can do. Mm-hmm. The problem is it messes up your data. Mm. Two weeks later, a month later, you're not going to remember when you changed the bid from one and you upped it or you went down. It's better to write a new ad with the bid that you want to test and watch how it does than to mess with your original ad because you want that original ad to die. You want to know that, okay, all my ads running right now are dying in seven days. If you know they're all going to die in seven days, you can plan ahead and get new ads into the pipeline. If you're constantly tweaking your ad in the hopes of keeping it alive, you may not keep it alive, but you're going to so muddy your data that you also won't know what you need to be doing to try to maintain the level of spend that's getting you the sales and the ranking and all those those things that you're trying to do. Does that make sense? Yep. No, I think that makes per- perfect sense. Well, hey, as we uh, as we wind down our, our time here, you've obviously said a lot about um, Amazon and marketing and, and all that. Um, yep. But what would be some just kind of, you know, sage writing wisdom? I, I always – I know – tips on writing are, are big and, and there's a lot out there, but, but w- <laughs> what are some things you've, you've learned along the way that you'd say, you know, this is something I think is really important when I, you think about the aspiring writer, the aspiring prolific writer, if you will, what would you want to say to them? Well, the thing that I would say when I think about my own writing is to not assume that your current methodology is the best way. I was through the first six books, through the first seven, I guess I was a panster. That's the only way I wrote because in my mind – well, it started with the blogs. I could not for at least five, maybe six novels imagine writing a novel despite having done it. There was no way in my mind I could picture 50, 60, 80,000 words. I I just – I had the inability to write 80,000 words. What I did have the ability to do at any given time was write 1,000 words. And so because I couldn't picture – the big, giant, massive word count, I could only picture the little word count, I was a pastor. I would just write one chapter at a time, not knowing where it was going, who the murderer was going to be, all these things, and it worked for me. But because I'm a data guy, I wondered about outlining. I wondered about writing beats. And so Sean Platt has a course on Udemy, uh, from uh, Sean from the uh, self-publishing podcast, and I, I went and checked it out. This was back in early, I guess it would have been 2015, maybe? Yeah, yeah, 2015. And I took his course. I went through it over about three days. I, I don't know that it would have taken that long, but I really wanted to learn this stuff. And then I decided I'm going to try writing beats. And this was me getting outside my comfort, comfort zone, planning out an entire novel, which, again, freaked me out a little bit. But that's sort of my point here. And... I spent a couple days writing beats, and then I wrote 
the first book in the Magellan Apocalypse series in five hours short of a fortnight. It took me two weeks. I didn't follow the outline. I did the outline up through the first act. And as I was going, I had a better idea. And so I went down a different path, had a better book. But then the outlining I had done and some of the scenes I had planned and some of the, the twists I had figured out in the outlining, I used those in books two and books three. So I learned that I am more productive if I plan ahead, but if the muse strikes and there's something that I think is better, I will follow that path. And so I guess my advice to authors is find out what works best for you now, and then if there's a different way, play with it. Again, I'm always about testing, but you might be better doing it the other way. Until you give it a try once, you won't know. And I'm much more productive you know plotting things out than I was as a panster. Well that's great that's really helpful. I, I think you know that's uh, the key to it, any advice is that you know everyone's different and everyone has to kind of find their own way exactly. but we can try things and learn things and see if it works for us. So so exactly. tell me um you you're working on obviously the the Amazon ads book um right now um yep. anything else, any other projects you're working on and also where can people find you? Okay, well I I have uh I do have a couple things that I'm that I paused. I, I was working on a book that was a look at traditional versus indie publishing, where I was interviewing people that had gone bo- about uh, gone about it both ways, and was getting some really interesting stuff. Had interviewed some pretty cool people, but I put that on pause to do the Amazon ads book. I'm also working on the fifth Henry Wood. I've got some ideas for the next trilogy for the science fiction, but those have all been paused. Because of, I'm just spending all my time with this Amazon Ads group. Do you mind me mentioning the group? No, go ahead. Okay, if you're interested, this is—I call it my beta group—but it's Mastering Amazon Ads, an author's guide on Facebook. It's a closed group. There's one requirement, and that's that everybody that's joined the group agrees that when I put up the book for pre-order, they will buy it. So you're not getting the book for free. You're spending 9.99, but I mean, the intent is to teach you how to make you know tens of thousands of dollars doing Amazon ads. So it feels like a fair trade-off. Nobody in the group has complained about that. Cool. But the key, the key element here is that you agree to buy the book when I ask you to buy the book because I want the data from the launch. And I did a poll in the uh, 20 Books to 50K group, uh, Michael's group, uh, back in maybe February or March, and I asked people this question. Does the price of your book impact ranking? And that was the question. And people have different opinions on this. I know in 2013, I had the data that showed there, there was no difference between a 99-cent book and a 9.99 book. I've seen some anecdotal stuff in my data that makes me think that may have changed. But I don't have enough that I would say on a podcast, oh, this is the way it is. But I was curious about people's perception. So I... I pulled that, and I think there was 109 people that responded, if I'm remembering correctly, and it was split right down the middle with one person more going that price matters. And I'm curious, what is your, what is your feeling on that? Let me poll you on that question. Does price matter? Does price impact your ranking when you get a sale? I think it does. Um, okay. I think yeah. – No, that yeah. – yeah, that, that, that's a good vote. I mean that that's my point is that – Everyone should ask that question. But what I want to do 
is I want to find the answer. So I have a non I have a fiction book, Beautiful Gears, which is like a prequel to my science fiction, and it's been on the shelf, done, edited twice, ready to go for I don't know four or five months. I'm saving it because I'm going to launch the pre-order for Beautiful Gears on the same day as the pre-order for Mastering Amazon Ads. Mastering Amazon Ads will be $9.99. Beautiful Gears, I'm launching at $0.99. Cents. I Within this group on Facebook, I've got about 50 people that have volunteered to go above and beyond the $9.99 requirement, spend the extra $0.99, cents, and those, group, those 50 people I will divide into a, five groups, and I will have 10 people a day buy both books. So at the end of five days, they should have 50 sales of each book. And if price does not matter, their rankings will be nearly identical. Price is weighted, then the 999 book will be vastly ahead of the 99 cent book. And we'll have an answer to that question. That's important is most people who launch their book are really interested in having the highest ranking they can get because they want the exposure to the people on the list that are outside their sphere of influence. And that absolutely makes sense. The question is, if your book is normally going to be $4.99 or $0.99, if you need five times the $0.99 sales to equal the same amount of weight at $4.99, which that's my gut feeling and that's what you think, then you're going to be better off launching at full price, have fewer sales, but probably not, you know, five times fewer so that your launch at full price will get you better ranking and you'll also make a ton more money. But that's not the point for most people. Most people is the ranking, but we don't know the answer. I should in theory be able to prove it conclusively with this test and there's several other tests. I mean, I actually have probably four or five things that I want to test with this launch and having 800 and 50 plus people that have agreed to buy this book is going to allow me to in a very controlled way launch the book on pre-order and get tons of valuable data that will hopefully then help other authors with their launches if that makes sense great yeah no i i will definitely put that that facebook group in the show notes as well and uh yeah i, th- I think uh you know from what i what little i know ranking does you know, I have a, a book that's 99 cents that sells, you know, copy a day or whatever, but it definitely doesn't shoot up the down the ranking as much as other books that don't sell as much. Exactly. Um, I mean, just from anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. and Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it seems, I, it I seems think, pretty I obvious, right. actually. I, I think you're right. But you know what? The group of people that said it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. and again, it was 50% right down the ring. I bet, you know, your listeners, if, if we polled them, it would be half and half, and I – I'm confident that in 2013 that was the case because I looked at it pretty closely. But back in September or so, I had some data from a a great run I had with one of my books and a friend was launching a book at 99 cents and it crushed it. Um, But my book at 499 outperformed it ranking-wise and it stayed stickier longer. So that's what made me think it. Um, One more thing if I might throw it out there. I I have – you mentioned earlier that I also co-write books with Honoré Corder. Uh, we've got The Nifty 15, uh, and Making More Money is our latest release, and we have a new one, Finding More Readers, which is about marketing with ninja tactics that are a little bit different than – well, actually quite a bit different than what most people have done. 
And so you might look for making more money is out there now and finding readers uh, will be coming out in the next month or so. And just like to get a plug in for the books. Great. Well, that's what we're, <laughs> that's what we're here for. So, well, hey, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the show last minute and it's been such a privilege and you have helped a lot of people and we're, ex- we're excited for the book to come out, the Amazon ads book and uh, go check out all Brian's stuff. Uh, you'll enjoy them. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and so thanks for, uh, for, yeah, taking the time. Hey, Ryan, I really enjoyed it. Anytime you, you, you need a shorthand uh, guest, let me know, and I'll, I'll, we'll talk about something else. Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again. Well, thanks, Brian. Have a good one. Thank you much. Bye-bye. Well, wasn't that a great interview? Uh, Brian Meeks is a rock star, and hopefully you learned a lot about Amazon ads. I know I did. I was taking notes the whole time, and Brian's a great, humble guy. Uh, as you heard in the interview, there's a Facebook group you can join if you want to learn more about Amazon ads and what that means and how that works. And a lot of great people learning from him and learning from each other of what's working, what's not. So hopefully you enjoy this interview. I had a great time doing the interview and I'm changing things up a little bit. I have a new ending uh, to the show and mainly because I have my own website for the show now. So the prolificwriter.net, you can go there, get all the episodes, find your favorite streaming platform or wherever you listen to the show check it out we have some articles up there you can be encouraged by that and also if you get a chance leave a review we'd love to get feedback people are really digging the show and enjoying it and so go to the prolificwriter.net or go to itunes or wherever you listen to this show and leave a review it really helps us out a lot so hope you enjoyed the show this is ryan pelton the prolific writer signing off and i will talk to you all real real soon